Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney with the broadest and deepest experience in all forms of aircraft propulsion. PrattWhitney.com TA Connections, the industry's most comprehensive airline lodging and crew logistics program. TAConnections.com Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. And Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. Hello, this is Ben Baldanza, and welcome aboard Airlines Confidential. We may not know where we're going to take you each week, but we're always going to try to make it an enjoyable ride. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Chimes. Hey, Ben. Hey, listeners. Uh, glad you've all joined us. Uh, we're going to get this party started with this week's news. First up in the U.S., new routes, expansion, and competition heating up just like the summer temperatures. And in some ways, all roads lead back to Ben. Uh, Spirit started things with a big incursion into Miami, announcing that it's setting up shop 30 miles from, from its home base in Fort Lauderdale and starting up service on 30 new routes from Miami. Then Southwest announced a ton of new service, 78 new routes, including 21 new international routes. And uh, wait for it here. It's first ever service to Ben's favorite place, Syracuse. <laughs> On the heels of the startups by Avalon Breeze and recent expansion by Frontier, Ben, what does this say about where we are with the U U.S. industry right now? Well, what it says, Chris, is what we've been saying for a number of shows, that it's all about low-cost carriers right now. Low-cost carriers are pretty much all back to at least operationally positive cash flow. The fact that the industry is looking at a bullish summer for leisure travel is music to their ears because that's their core business. Like we've said before, they're not saddled with wide body equipment, which can be a boon at times, but is a drag right now. And they've got, you know, sort of the right model for the time right now. And they're using that to all of their advantage. We've seen it for a while going back to the IPOs of Frontier and Sun Country, then the startup of Avalo and Breeze, like you said, and all this. Now, the biggest news in all this to me was Southwest going to Syracuse. I do think that's great news. <laughs> Upstate New York needs good competition and Southwest will be, will be good for that city, I'm sure. In terms of spirit going into Miami, that's not a new idea. Years ago, when I was at Spirit, we met with Miami to talk about setting up shop there. And while we were interested in that, they just could not get the cost right. I mean, it literally would have required us to add about $20 round trip to each fare just to cover the cost difference of operating at Miami versus Fort Lauderdale. They have clearly fixed that now, and to their credit and to the credit of the people of Miami, that they're now able to attract these flights from Spirit, flights from JetBlue that have come in. Frontier started the trend when they started serving Miami a few years back, and I think that's really good for South Florida. And you know, Chris, I don't think it's going to hurt Fort Lauderdale that much, and here's why. If you look at the demographics of South Florida – 
There's been a lot of migration north into Broward County and into Palm Beach County from Miami-Dade County. So the whole region is, you know, six million people, which is very, very large. So having two large airports that can serve that kind of region is not really different than the five or so that serve L.A. or the multiple airports that serve New York, or, you know, two big airports in Chicago, things like that. They they can all drive a lot of traffic. So I think Fort Lauderdale is going to do fine. It'll bring incremental new traffic into Miami with more low fares, and that's a good thing. So overall, I see this as nothing but good news for customers in terms of expansion of low fares to more cities and reaffirmation of what we've been saying on the show, which is low-cost carriers are in the catbird seat right now. Well, two things to, to add, Ben. One, I think you know, we always think of Miami and South Florida as a leisure market, but you know, there's a big push by uh, local government officials to really make Miami a tech center for the Southeast. And so all these carriers are getting ahead of that and getting their foot in the door with regard to hopefully more business traffic into that South Florida market related to all the tech investment coming in. Yeah, the other thing is interesting is watching the shortened booking curve uh, airlines are, are relying on right now. I mean, I realize many of these routes are starting into the fall, but it just looks like carriers are more prepared to pick up a plane and move it somewhere and boom, uh, drop a new route and get going on it and see where things land. And again, if you've got low cost, you can do that a little easier. And, you know, with Spirit adding all these flights into Miami, it does look like they're not changing their business model, though, in that it looks like they're going to be flying basically one time a day to a lot of cities, as opposed to high frequency from Miami to one city or something like that. So let's take this news a little bit further with the news last week that TSA, for the first time, processed more than 2 million passengers in well over a year. On the aircraft side, you know the the boom in traffic coming back is showing in different ways. Certainly not as flashy as the new routes and the new cities, but Boeing has been somewhat quietly shrinking its 737 MAX inventory. Last July, they had about 100 orphaned 737 MAXs as buyers walked away from orders. But that supply is now down to 10 or so, and investors are bullish on Boeing right now with speculation of more MAX orders, including one coming up from United. What do you think? I think this is not completely surprising. I'm sure Boeing sold these planes or repositioned these planes at not at the same price maybe as they had originally sold them for, but I'm sure they got a decent price for them and it shows just how good this airplane really is economically, not only because Boeing probably made a good deal on them, but remember this was a very well-selling airplane before the two crashes because people really liked its range, the economics of the new engines, the overall value relationship of what the airplane could bring to an airline. The crashes obviously changed all that. The plane was grounded for a long time, but it really does seem that the problems that caused those crashes were understood 
Boeing has changed both the engineering, the training protocol of the planes has changed. And I think most people in the world now believe that that plane can be an extremely safe airplane, properly deployed, properly trained. And that's going to be a really good competitor to the Airbus A320neo, which the A320neo needs that kind of competitor. And both Airbus and Boeing get better when they compete against each other. So I think it's great. It also says that the world is looking for efficiency and is ready for new airplanes to come back into the system and to get these airplanes off of a grounded status and into the air around the world. Probably a number of different airlines are taking these these airplanes. I think that's a good sign also for the world aviation community sort of coming back some too. Yeah, no, I agree. One story, I think, used the word Boeing unloads spare aircraft or something like they were left in a parking lot with the keys in them or something, um, which was an unfortunate way to describe what was going on. But Southwest has exercised some options and converted to firm orders recently. And the speculation that United's going to split a big order between Boeing and Airbus. And while certainly Airbus leveraged the situation to improve their sales position. I think we all benefit, as we talked about, from uh, having, as you just mentioned, two strong competitors, people thinking aircraft are safe. Most passengers don't know the difference between what plane they're on. So at the end of the day, I think Airbus is also uh, quietly happy that the the kind of the dark cloud about the aircraft is behind everyone so that we could be talking about more optimistic things. Early in the year, I published in early January, sort of five big predictions for the airline industry. And I don't know that I'll get the rest of them right, but on one of mine was by the end of this year, there'll be plenty of 737 Maxes flying. And the that issue of that airplane being unsafe will largely be behind us. I said, I thought that would happen by the end of this year. So seeing this sort of in, in the June you know, the beginning of summer makes me pretty confident that at least one of my predictions will come true. Well, let's hope you're right. Pratt & Whitney is a world leader in the design, manufacture, and service of aircraft and helicopter engines and auxiliary power units. Pratt & Whitney has the broadest and deepest experience in all forms of aircraft propulsion. To learn more about their 95 years of innovation and how they power the future of flight, visit prattwhitney.com. So Ben, what do you think about the news of both Virgin Atlantic and American investing in vertical aerospace, which is looking to manufacture an electrical takeoff and landing aircraft, often referred to as an EVTOL? If you recall, United announced interest earlier in the year in the concept in these air taxis as well. I think this is real interesting technology. Obviously, getting to airports quickly and safely is important, especially for business travelers from downtown New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, pick your big city, right? And if these airplanes or these EVTOL machines, <laughs> whether they're airplanes or whatever you want to call them, uh, these devices, you know, promise to sort of be a relatively economic way to be able to get people from, you know, center city into the main airport for your longer flight on a more normal airplane. So I think it's exciting that United, Virgin Atlantic, and American are sort of investing in these because they know that it may change the way 
some people get to the airport. Now, I don't think you're going to see a Spirit or a Frontier invest in these because they know their customers are probably going to take Uber to the airport, right? But for some customers, the eVTOL option at some point will be a really efficient use of time and a real effective way to sort of connect up center cities with big airports outside the the city. So I think it's great that those companies, the eVTOL companies, are getting interest enough from the airlines to keep pushing that technology. Pushing technology, whether it's the eVTOL or whether it's the supersonic planes that we talked about last week, or certainly electric based aviation, which is ultimately going to be better for the environment. Pushing all those things is really good for the long term of this industry. So if airlines believe that this is a technology that could help them attract business customers with a better way to get to the airport, then I think it's great that they're getting the kind of funding and interest to keep pushing that technology. Well, this technology is interesting. It also... um underscores the importance of improving and modernizing the air traffic control system because you're just putting more aircraft into the system that have to be managed, albeit flying at a lower altitude, but competing with drones and and other kinds of low-flying aircraft that everyone are talking about and into airports specifically. And, um, you know, I guess, too, we got to think about how does this extend the contract of carriage for those passengers, because right now getting to the airport is not the airline's problem. If your Uber gets stuck in traffic, it's not American's problem; it's your problem. If you miss your flight, and um, you know, are these going to be an extension of of the code and the airline service that uh, transportation to the airport is part of the deal? Finally, Ben, a little quiz: Red Wings, Hawaiian, JAL, and Avianca. Use those words in a sentence. Hmm. Well, I want to be kind of a smart you know what and say no one at Hawaiian Jal or Avianca are fans of the Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that's the right answer. Let me say that each of Hawaiian JAL and Avianca use Red Wings in their livery. Is that closer? No, it has nothing to do with hockey or shoes. These are the airlines with the best on-time performance in May for Europe, North America, APAC, and Latin America, according to Sirium data, Red Wings being a Russian carrier uh, that was the top, uh, top performer in that part of the world uh, for the month of May. So I, I one-upped you for once on knowing all the uh, trivia of airlines and, and aviation. You know, and it's been 10 days since I've looked at Sirium and I've got to shorten that span, don't I? So I can't get it out like this again. That's actually great. And congratulations to those four carriers, too. Well, we'll be right back with more Airlines Confidential. But first, our thanks to TA Connections, which partners with more than 140 aviation and cruise line companies and hundreds of thousands of hotels worldwide. They monitor and track room utilization to ensure that companies get the most out of the rooms they buy and they only pay for what was consumed, which means enhanced operation and a true savings to the company. Learn more at taconnections.com. 
TA Connections is a fleet core company, the world's leading provider of technology and services for crew and passenger logistics management. We'll be right back. The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. It's time for listener questions. Remember, you can leave a question on our voicemail at 202-964-0177, or you can email us at questions at airlinesconfidential.com, or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts. We're available on all the major podcast platforms, and you can ask Amazon Alexa or Google Assist to turn us on. Just say, play the Airlines Confidential podcast. So Ben, our first question is from Larry in Texas. And I think I know who Larry is based on his email address. Hi, Ben and Chris. Love the podcast. I have a question for you about the large FAA fines being handed out to misbehaving read, quote, Bufus head passengers. How are those fines collected, particularly when the offending passenger doesn't have that much cash lying around? Is there a payroll deduction, a payment plan, garnished wages? Well, this was a great question, I thought, Chris, and thank you, Larry, in part because I didn't know the answer. So I reached out to some people I knew, and I got the best answer from Scott McCartney, who many of you may know as the regular writer of the middle seat column in the Wall Street Journal. And Scott was very familiar with this idea. And what he told me, this was learning for me, maybe for some of our listeners, but some may have known this, Chris, is that the FAA doesn't actually fine people at all. What they do is they propose a fine and their proposal of that fine is then put into the justice system. And a judge will get this, a court will get this proposal by the FAA and make a determination, first of all, whether the case is even heard. And in some cases, there could be an FAA proposal for a fine and the case is never heard through the justice system and it just goes away. In other cases, they may um, appoint a public defender if one's needed or something, and they may try to settle. So maybe a proposed $50,000 fine by the FAA gets settled for a much smaller amount in order to not take the time in the court system. And once in a while, the things actually go to a trial and, and there's a judgment made that the passenger owes a certain amount. And that might be what the FAA proposed or more or less than that amount, probably in all cases less. And so the practical answer is while the FAA proposes these fines, what Scott believes is that many of them never get paid at all because they're just not heard and many of them get settled for much lower amounts. Now, Scott also wanted to make one other point clear about this, and I appreciated that. He said, the FAA will propose a fine against somebody behaving badly on the airplane. But if there's actually a criminal act, like, for example, the flight attendant that lost two teeth on the flight, that that could be a criminal charge against that customer as well, and that that customer would then essentially get a um, criminal penalty against them and go through the criminal justice process. So there's a proposed fine that could go through the civil court process and then a criminal 
charge that could be applied if that was appropriate. Long answer to the question, but I think it's a fantastic question. It's something I hadn't heard a lot about. And so I guess we use our court systems for all kinds of things, Chris. Well, great question. Great answer, Ben. Thank you. I think this could all be solved if people would stop being jerks on airplanes, but I don't think we're going to solve that here on this podcast. But again, Larry, thanks for the uh, question and please tell Tim hello as well. Well, and if you do need money and you're an airline, Seabury Security's team of experts has led 13 of the top 20 airline transformations and conducted over $100 billion in aircraft transactions. With deep expertise in debt and lease restructurings, aerospace supply chain turnarounds, and helicopter operator transformations. Let's see if they get into EVTOL as well. Say, Chris, (laughs) explore (laughs) their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. So, Ben, when this question came in, I could imagine little Benjamin Baldanza in third grade shooting up your hand to answer the question with, you know, teacher, teacher, I know, pick me, pick me. (laughs) It's from Alex in Tampa. With Spirit moving into Miami, what do you think the response from AA will be? Historically, they will match fares against ultra-low-cost carriers, but only on the same time of day frequency. Does this mean American isn't too threatened since almost all of these are only once a day or less? And do you see AA retaliating with some buildup at Fort Lauderdale, like when they added Fort Lauderdale LAX in response to JetBlue? Well, I am going to raise my hand and say, teacher, teacher, pick me for this one, okay? (laughs) No two airlines know each other better than American and Spirit. Spirit has been operating in competition with American by operating 30 miles up the road in Fort Lauderdale against Miami's hub for a long time. Years ago, American put a lot of capacity into Fort Lauderdale as spirit started to build up, including flying Airbus A300 airplanes from Fort Lauderdale to Haiti. That lasted for less than a year as they really couldn't make money at spirits, matching spirits fare on routes like that. But Spirit has also grown in Chicago and in Dallas, two other big American hubs. So American knows what Spirit does for their revenue. They understand how to compete with Spirit. They understand what kinds of customers Spirit attracts and which kind of customers they don't really attract. So I don't think American will ignore Spirit going into Miami. They may beef up some capacity. They probably will roll out more basic economy fares to make sure that for the same time of day, a customer who's really buying on price doesn't have only Spirit as a low price option. But I don't think that they're going to get too riled about it. And I don't think they're going to put a lot of capacity into Fort Lauderdale. I just don't see that happening. It didn't work for them before. And now the airline's in a little tougher state given, you know, a year and a half of COVID and not great cash flow during that whole time. So I think they'll they'll react, they'll match fares with basic economy fares, they'll be they'll restrict those through their yield management process very well. But also I don't think they're going to feel that threatened because Spirit likely is going to fly mostly one a day. Now American wants that traffic on their planes. It's not that they're just willing to give that traffic to Spirit, but the cost to try to stop them is actually more than just letting them go. I think the reason they did put a flight right on top of JetBlue is 
out of New York and Boston, JetBlue's mint product is a really well-designed and well-liked product by customers. And I think American might have been worried that JetBlue might attract business customers from Miami in their mint cabin on their Miami LA route, which is more threatening to American than what Spirit would do. That's why I would think they might have reacted to JetBlue, but I don't expect a huge reaction to Spirit here. Great question though. Thanks, Alex. I'm going to put a big gold star on your paper there, Ben. (laughs) Thank you. And then this comment from Evan in Atlanta about our discussion on cyber threats to aviation. Ben and Chris, I was glad to hear you refer to layered security as being in place to prevent and mitigate cyber attacks on airliners. I would urge your listeners to recall that the last line in defense are the professional pilots in the cockpit. Unusual indications and unsafe conditions are things we are trained to look for and mitigate. The threat is not one of safety, but one of inconvenience. Airplanes can fly without air traffic control or without GPS, but they may not be able to fly to where the passengers intended to go. Thank you very much for that, Evan, and I agree with you. Pilots are the last layer of security on the airplane, and pilots certainly in the U.S. and around the world, I agree with you, are well-trained to know what happens when something goes wrong. And I agree with you that the passengers probably wouldn't get to where they intended to go, but they'll get on the ground safely. Thanks for all you do. Finer Wine is next, but listeners, don't forget our special offer from Clear, especially with summer travel, crowded airports, and TSA wait times. Visit clearme.com and you'll receive two months free, including for up to three of your family members. Use the promo code AIRLINESCONFIDENTIAL, valid through July 1st. That's clearme.com, promo code AIRLINESCONFIDENTIAL. Clear does make travel safer and easier. Become a member of Clear and you'll enjoy frictionless journeys when you use Clear's home-to-gate feature, which lets you know exactly the best time to leave for the airport. Plus, Clear's signature experience helps you move seamlessly through airport security. Chris, this finer wine is from Sarah in Medford, Massachusetts. I was trying to get to a family event in May flying out of Boston Logan. Apparently, the IT system was down. Kiosks weren't working. We couldn't check bags or check in. Flights were grounded. It was a mess. I finally got to my destination but missed my ride, and of course, there were no rental cars to be had. I incurred a $200 Uber ride, the only way to get to my final destination. This was in no way my fault. I'm a graduate student, so $200 isn't pocket change. I asked JetBlue what they could do for me, and there was nothing they could do. Maybe more like nothing they would do. Chris, is this a fine or a wine? Sarah, I'm sorry, but uh, this is a wine. I'm guessing she's referring to uh, the Sabre outage that was like May 21st or May 11th or something, I recall. But sometime in mid-May, there was a major saber outage that hit uh, airports around the country. So she was probably caught up in that. And if you look at the fine print of an airline's contract of carriage, things like this are part of what they're not responsible for, uh, just like the weather. And so um, 
this is unfortunately one of those unplanned costs of travel that sometimes you have to plan for or figure out a way to pay for after. So, Sarah, I'm sorry you were caught up in this, but as far as the airlines go uh, and your rights to complain, this is a whine. Have to agree with you on that one, Chris. You know, as we close down, I want to give my shout out. And my shout out is going to go to something we talked about in the show, which is I want to give my shout out to Miami, Florida, specifically the airport. That airport has gotten a lot of grief over time. And the city of Miami, sometimes people make fun of a lot, too. There's all kinds of jokes. I'm sure many of our listeners know many of them about Miami. But the reality is there's a lot of good people there. There's a lot of good people in that part of Florida. And with this expansion, initially by Frontier, then JetBlue, and now Spirit going into Miami, I think it's really great that Everyone in South Florida will be able to fly out of an airport most convenient to them, not be forced to drive 30 miles north to Fort Lauderdale or even further to Palm Beach. So my shout out goes to everyone in South Florida who's going to be looking at more good options. And even if you choose to keep flying American Airlines, it's always good to have options. I agree, Ben. That's a good shout out. And even though my apartment in Doral, Florida is under the flight path of all this more of all this additional traffic i think it's a great thing for miami and so let's keep at it i'm going to give one of those shout outs that's a little sad but a statement about kind of where we are as an industry right now after a great run dating back to 1966 american airlines is ceasing the publication of its american way magazine with its june issue being the final one this follows the decision by southwest and delta to pull the plug on their magazines last year United Hemispheres is coming back this month after suspension, and Virgin Atlantic's magazine is coming back in September after a suspension during the pandemic. But this looks to be the end of an era for a lot of these kinds of things that uh, we were also used to on an aircraft. So speaking of ends, that's where we are for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us all at Airlines Confidential. We'll see you next week. We're here at the MRO Americas Conference and really happy to be here with Ken Witcher from Embry-Riddle. Ken, so great for you to be here. And Embry-Riddle is a name that anyone who knows anything about the airlines knows at least something about. Tell us about your whole program now, what you're doing, you know, what the world looks like from an ERAU standpoint. Well, Ben, thank you so much. We certainly do appreciate it. And we're at Embry-Riddle, of course, we're very proud to participate in all these kind of large industry events, but certainly here at MRO Americas. Of course, the maintenance industry is a big part of, of what we do uh, at Embry-Riddle. And let me just give you a big picture for those that might be listening that don't know what Embry-Riddle is or what we do. We're the largest uh, university on the planet, really, that's focused on aviation and aerospace. And we have residential campuses, just like what you'd see at your local your local town or your state-run schools uh, out at Prescott, Arizona, where they have about 3,000 or so students that you, just like you went onto the normal campus, you'd see engineering labs and you'd see flight lines and aircraft and all the stuff that you'd expect to see. And then we have a large campus of about 6,500 or so here in Daytona Beach, Florida, where we were kind of headquartered at. Uh, and we, uh, those students, again, are typical um, right out of high school type students you'd expect. They're looking for opportunities in our industry. So we take them through engineering programs, through the aviation programs, uh, human factors, all the kinds of things, disciplines that you would expect are related to um, the aviation and aerospace industry. And then what I'm part of is the worldwide campus where we're more focused on like the non-traditional learner. And I, I say that under, with, with uh, understanding that we're getting more and more 
first time in college, kind of students that are coming to the uh, really the online or distributed or technology enhanced learning environment. And we're at about 120 locations around the globe, everywhere from uh, Frankfurt, Germany. We've got campuses there. We've got campuses in South Korea. We've got a large residential campus down in Singapore, there in, in Asia. And we also have uh, teaching locations down in San Paulo, Brazil. So we truly are worldwide. And in our campus, we support about about 24,000 students around this around the globe, and and uh, I'm a, I have an opportunity to lead the College of Aeronautics, so we do uh, engineering. So we have online engineering programs here at Emory Riddle that it, it really any student, obviously, if you meet the admission criteria, can get into. We have the aeronautical science type programs that you'd expect. We also have maintenance programs that we do, even in the online environment, for those folks that might have have tons of hands-on experience working for maybe the military or something like that, and they need those civilian credentials, or they're just looking for an opportunity to advance their career in aviation maintenance perhaps, and they come to us and get a bachelor's degree in aviation maintenance. So we got those big core degrees that you'd expect, and then we have some really cool things going on that I'd like to share with you if you don't mind, Ben, and, and that's entering into space operations. We got a new program we're launching this summer. We're really excited about it. We're gonna go into commercial space operations. It's a master's program, so if you think about those those students, those really talented students out there working, or graduates out there working for places like SpaceX and Blue Origin that are aerospace engineers or mechanical engineers or electrical engineers, and they're wanting a, a career in the commercial space environment, which is just exploding, as we all know. And they're looking for a little bit of that kind of space stink, I want to call it, to get on them. We have these graduate degree, about uh, 10 courses is all it is, and they come to us and can walk away with an Emory degree and help them out as they enter our progress through that industry. That is so exciting. You know, you have alumni working all over the industry, all around the world. That must give you enormous insight as to what airlines are thinking and what's going on. What is your view of the airline industry right now? Yeah. And where are we in the recovery from sure. this pandemic? Sure. So if we want to talk about the commercial airline industry as a whole, everybody, I think, is probably listening to us here, uh, understand it's been a challenging last year for sure. But I, I, I can tell you just by looking around here and, and who we're talking to in the industry, from a workforce, workforce perspective or an opportunity perspective, if you're wanting to come and work in, in the airline industry, it's really starting to change. And I think most of us kind of thought we'd be a few years before we really saw that demand come back for pilots or maintainers or really anybody in industry. And, and to tell you the truth, especially in the maintenance side of the house, we're seeing that demand come back really quickly. If you if you go talk to any of our partners like Pratt & Whitney is a partner of ours and, and uh, AAR, Haco America's large MROs, or you know, really any of those, Lockheed, Northrop, those folks that we partner with to help uh, take aviation maintenance folks and give them successful careers. If you talk to any of those folks right now, they're, they're back to where kind of pre-pandemic saying, hey, we need some help. Uh, this is getting a little desperate. We're kind of getting back to the point we might have to start turning away work if we don't have a talented workforce. And when you get to start talking about a situation like that, I think it's exciting. Uh, and you start to realize maybe this industry is a, even a little more resilient than we even thought it was, and we're bouncing back pretty quick. That's such an encouraging message, Ken. And it, and it shows how... Uh, a university like yours, who's been here for a long time, who's fed this industry great talent for a long time, and they're going to be here for a long time. This industry lives on good talent. It lives on having a, a good work stream of pilots, mechanics, 
um, aircraft schedulers, accountants, IT people, all kinds of things, right? And we think about this industry in terms of planes and parts and things, but it's really an industry about people, isn't it? It certainly is, and that's that's so true. And uh, we couldn't be more proud of the talent that's got you know an Emory Riddle degree hanging on their wall that's out there making this industry move forward today. And one of the things that if you ever come to one of our campuses or one of our classrooms, you'll see that I think most everybody notices that's not familiar with the industry we support. They so they go, wow, those folks are so passionate about what they do. And that just goes through and, and it really attracts that kind of talent you were just referring to. So it's really cool to be part of an organization that supports the industry the way we do and then just to see that passion and see that next generation of folks go out and take this industry forward. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Ken. Thanks for supporting the Airlines Confidential Podcast and Godspeed to ERAU. Yeah, thanks, Ben. <laughs> we appreciate it. And thanks for the invitation. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.